Welcome to Pioneers of a More Data-Driven Union, the series created by Elder Research to spotlight government leaders leveraging analytics and technology to solve complex problems for public good. Our first series is titled AI for Public Good with multiple segments. I am Christina Ho, your host, and I'm excited to bring you another episode today. Our topic today is how is AI being applied to maximize the oversight community's impact with limited resources? And today I have two special guests who are two very talented government data executives, Renata Miscal and Taka Ariga. Renata is the Acting Chief Data and Analytic Officer for the Department of Health and Human Services, Office of the Inspector General. As Acting Data, Chief Data and Analytic Officer, Renata works to empower HHS OIG to use data proactively to protect the integrity of HHS program, as well as the health and welfare of the people they serve. In her role, Renata focuses on developing and implementing advanced analytics and AI capabilities to support OIG in efficiently and effectively executing its oversight mission. Prior to joining HHS OIG, she held several senior roles in the private sector and other parts of federal government. She enjoys spending time outdoors and running after her two young children. Thank you for joining me, Renata. Hi, Christina. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Taka is the first data scientist appointed by the Comptroller General of the United States for the Government Accountability Office. He also leads GAO's newly established Innovation Lab in driving problem-centric experiments across audit and operation teams through novel use of advanced analytics and emerging technologies. Taka is a seasoned analytic executive with over 20 years of experience helping private and public sector organizations make sense of hidden correlations, behaviors, relationships, patterns, and anomalies. In his spare time, he is also a serious classical chamber musician and a competitive tennis player. Welcome, Taka. Thank you so much, Christina. It's such an honor to be with your audience today. In a recent podcast, I interviewed two federal executives uh, who are using AI and innovation to improve program effectiveness and efficiency. So today, we're actually going to take a look from a different angle uh, from oversight bodies of these federal agencies on how you're using AI and innovation to improve oversight of these federal agencies. So to set the context, um, let's talk a little bit about the challenges of oversight and why are you looking to overcome these challenges using data science and AI? Let's start with Renata. Well, thank you again, Christina. And yes, there are many challenges uh, as evidenced by this past year during the pandemic. 
I'd say the top one is really providing timely and relevant oversight. So how can we deliver our reports, findings, and recommendations in a timely manner so we can, in this case, save lives and really help uh, policy and government officials make better decisions? Um, some of the challenges related to providing timely and relevant oversight are really related around data access, um, data quality, and, and the growth in, especially in the healthcare space of technology and the associated data. So um, that coupled with the lack of resources in the oversight side, you know, as I like to say, you know, HHS OIG, we now oversee nearly $2 trillion worth of spend with the coronavirus funding. Um, we have uh, just over just over 1,600 employees um, and about 400 million in uh, in you know funding. So that's tiny compared to the, the massive uh, mission that we have. And so uh, it's really important for us to harness data, to use technology to target our oversight um, in an effective and efficient manner, and to really provide those actionable, uh, meaningful insights to help um, drive decisions. Wow, that that is a significant increase because I remember maybe 2019 or 20 still at 1.2, 1.3 trillion. And clearly your budget did not increase, but your uh, oversight dollar has um, increased by 800 billion. Wow, that is a big increase. Well, Taka, what do you think? Just to add to what Renata has mentioned, um, just like any other organization, I think we're very much interested in exploring AI capabilities to help us do our mission better, um, to be able to sort of broaden our scope of investigation, to be able to accelerate our analyses. But I think in unique aspects of the oversight entities such as GAO and HHS OIG is that we are also called upon to uh, audit and assess implementation of AI. So not only are we interested in using these capability, we also need to figure out how might we evaluate them from a performance perspective? Are there any societal impacts? Are there any other intended or unintended consequences based on implementation of these systems? So to me, it's a very interesting duality um, that both Renata and I sort of occupy in terms of not only are we looking to sort of apply AI in a variety of contexts and a variety of missions uh, areas, but we're also trying to figure out if we're actually called upon to do the audit of these systems, how might we approach it? What do we collect? How do we collect them? And what do we do with them once we collected them? And um, I think one of the most important aspects about AI is um, I think necessarily some of them, the audit methodology will have to change as well. Uh, and the speed in which we issue these reports. So for example, an AI assessment report cannot take 18 months to issue. By the time we issue them, the rest of the world would have moved on to something else. Um, so how do we do so uh, you know, contemporaneously? How do we do so at scale? Um, and GAO has a unique position of uh, spanning across the multitude of federal government program policies and operations. So we have to be quite adapt adaptive in terms of the variety of AI systems that we come across. There could be autonomous driver system in transportation. There could be a lot of you know, com computer vision happening at, you know, Jake, for example, at DOD. Um, unfortunately, GEO doesn't get to pick and choose what we end up uh, assessing. So it's making sure that our workforce are uh, sort of data literate, are empowered and able to tackle um, the, the challenges of an algorithmically driven world that we live in. 
in addition to applying these capabilities ourselves. Yeah, well, Renata and I have had experience of being audited by GAO. And we do know that you guys have very broad portfolio and, and there are some very interesting uh, for you to assess. And it's really great to hear you know, that GAO is you know getting ahead and trying to be innovative and understand the challenges of these things. So excited that um, you're the first chief data scientist. Um, now, Renata, um, we know doing things in the government is not that easy. So what have you uh, seen in, in terms of uh, trying to implement AI and, and data science machine learning in your program? What are some of the lessons learned and what outcomes you have uh, achieved? Sure. Uh, so I think the, the key formula and not not exactly a scientific formula, but it's really three components. It's data, uh, technology, and partnerships with um, data scientists, statisticians, data analysts, and subject matter experts, people who really understand these complex programs like Medicare, Medicaid, um, and, and really can sort of help to unlock you know, how that data can be valuable um, and how that technology can be applied. Um, it's also really important to stay very close to the mission and the metrics. So I mentioned data and technology, and um, you know it's it can be easy to sort of get lost down a rabbit hole of like, wow, this is a really cool technology. Let's find a problem for it to solve, <laughs> right? Um, so you really need to understand what are the business challenges and and how you can uh, apply technology to solve those and, and apply meaningful metrics. So, um, you know, one of the key challenges, especially um, in positions like mine as a chief data officer, where it's a new position and you're constantly trying to prove your value in the organization. So it's really important as you kind of approach bigger projects to have those metrics, um, you know, kind of thought of right in front. And then um, I think I think success really comes, you're, I, I love the, the term duality, Taka, that you mentioned. It's really, you're delivering um, data-driven, you know, transformation, but also digital acceleration. So as we, as an oversight community, are applying AI and advanced analytics to do our work, we're also learning how that technology can be used inappropriately, um, the ethical implications, you know, some of the micro decisions and how it's important to be um, really well, it needs to be well governed. Um, so an example of success is our grants analytics portal. Um, so HHS is the largest federal grant making agency. Uh, we have lots of grant recipients and um, a key data set is something called the um, single audits. And these are PDF uh, documents that have a lot of rich information, but they're very difficult to access. And um, so what we did is we partnered with our audit team to understand how they looked through those documents. And we then uh, essentially scraped the data and applied AI to essentially um, uh, lift up the meaningful pieces of information and, and apply a risk model. Um, so now an auditor can go into our grants analytics portal and look at the top riskiest uh, grant recipients based on 
our formula, they can explore the data and they can click right into, you know, that PDF and find that material weakness or that finding. Um, so that transformation is really, you know, um, hundreds and maybe thousands of hours, you know, many analysts to really, you know, a click of a button um, to see sort of the, the, the highest risk. Um, and we're continuing to explore in this area. So um, we're uncovering different um, models and different uh, topic modeling to uncover new trends, um, which really wouldn't be um, kind of relevantly, relevantly apparent. Um, we're experimenting with graph and um, developing um, these really cool models where we can see networks of, um, they're called principal investigators with NIH grants. So it's really cool stuff. And it's really amazing um, how you can make those insights pop with the application of technology and the subject matter expertise input. Yeah, that is exciting. I actually feel really excited about the text analytic as well, The because um, you mentioned the single audit. And when I think about the applicability of those technology to real business problem, I mean, the OMB just issued a, a, a policy memo, M2120, on how to uh, provide, you know, implement the American Rescue Plan in an equitable fashion. And in the memo, they talk about the A133, um, the single audit clearinghouse information as well. And there's so many other data sources that are texts like that, that I think um, there's just so exciting to be able to, because a human per cannot absorb all that text. Um, so now Taka, um, Renata mentioned earlier about her role as a new role to and, and the need to prove value. And you're you're the first chief data scientist at GAO. Uh, similarly, it's a new role. Do you have similar experience? And then after you talk about that, I want to ask you a little bit more about the AI ethics. Sure, sure. Happy to. Um, just want to expand on what Renata has mentioned. For GAO, I think we take accountability in multiple directions. So at the micro level, the way that we apply AI is perhaps different than commercial organization. For example, we're not in the business of developing recommendation engine. Um, and a lot of time, it's also different than how an executive agency might apply AI, whether it's NLP, whether it's some other machine learning capability. Uh, from a GAO perspective, we have a responsibility to make sure our outputs are in fact explainable and traceable and linear. Um, so that does put some constraints when it comes to, let's say, topic modeling. Uh, we do need to understand the underlying mechanics, the underlying mathematics, the underlying parameters that we can adjust, as opposed to we bought this COTS product and now we're going to apply it, but not really understanding how does the input, how does the output gets generated. Um, so I think that's a sort of interesting uh, nuance when it comes to at a micro level accountability in terms of how we apply these capability to our audit work. Um, on a more macro level, uh, in terms of accountability, there's been uh, sort of a lot of conversations around ethical principle, you know, transparency, fairness, explainability, um, et cetera. Our view is that, you know, up till now, those conversations has been very high level principles. You know, they're equate to thou shalt do no harm, which I think is very laudable. I think it's, you know, AI is one of those areas where 
um, these type of social responsibility have been placed on data scientists to actually making sure that we are um, not unintentionally promulgating, you know, stereotypes or disparate impacts and those type of um, sort of consequences. But that being said, there hasn't been a whole lot of work in bringing those principle level ideals down to the day-to-day -day implementation. What does explainability means for someone who's developing, let's say, a mortgage screening, you know, model versus, let's say, computer vision model versus some sort of biometrics? Um, and the other piece that we saw was missing is the, the equation of trust and verify. There's a lot of conversations around trusting, but not a whole lot around verification. And both Renata and I were in the business of verification. That's what we do. Um, you know, that's our methodology are built around collecting artifacts and evaluate them objectively uh, in a way that sort of, sort of lends credence to the kind of assurance that we're able to issue. Um, so, you know, as far as AI accountability at the macro level, we saw a gap in conversation relative to, well, well, how do we deal with performance evaluation of AI? How do we deal with potential labeling of data that may or may not have unintended uh, biases built into it? Um, how do we deal with uh, documentation of the governance? So, for example, you know, there's a difference between an in-house developed machine learning model versus something that one would buy in the commercial marketplace. How do we deal with continuous monitoring where data may drift, performance may drift, and a variety of other parameters may drift? Um, and so those are the kind of questions that we felt it was unaddressed, at least in the conversation of all of these AI ethical principles. Um, so we uh, initiated an internal GAO effort under the Comptroller General's authority to really convene a set of experts, uh, including Dr. Elder, participated in that deliberation to really talk about how and what criteria do we assess AI. Um, so we're very much excited towards publication of this report uh, in late June, early uh, July. I think this is our first attempt at uh, really sort of having a, a AI oversight framework but recognizing that this is not an end all be all uh, as technology evolve, as use cases and domain specific application evolve, we want to take that further um, to down to the tactical implementation level to say, what do we mean when we say explainability from a GPS navigation point of view versus let's say a medical AI drug development perspective. Um, and part of the, the the sort of aspirations that we have is knowing that GAO is not the singular source of answer on topics like this. So how do we partner with HHSOIG, with academic institution, with industry providers, with other nonprofits to really promulgate the idea of trust is great, but we also need to verify the performance and the sort of in implications of AI. Yeah. Well, I, oh, I feel um, the data science ethics or AI ethics, a, a very fascinating topic because it is one of those situations where you, there is no clear black and white rules. And there are times that it's gray area. Like for example, if there are ways for somebody to be able to tell whether they have a medical condition early on by either their voice level or the way they you know, move, 
uh, those are medical information that the algorithm be taking. And so it is very important, even though the AI um, is used in such a great way to help people, but at the same time, there's that responsibility that come with it uh, in making sure that, that their data is protected and that the algorithm is not biased against um, certain demographic. So Yeah, um, and I'll just add, there is one layer to this conversation that we're starting to explore as well, which is the cybersecurity domain. Um, I know there's been a lot of conversations around adversarial ML, um, but from a day-to-day -day development lifecycle perspective, we run into a situation where data scientists are asking for credential, you know, whether those credentials are root level access versus specific use case and, and, and policy attached to it. We have come across instances where out of expediency, you know, folks are assigning credential that essentially have root level access. So if those ML models and those AI systems are breached, um, that actually opens up the organization to a whole new set of uh, cyber intrusion risk beyond you know your phishing, your denial service attack. Um, so it's a little bit of a you know an invisible layer. I mean, as we put more and more trust into the performance of AI, I think there is that cybersecurity layer that um, are starting to sort of combine both cybersecurity expert and data science together to say how do we uh, incorporate better hygiene relative to the kind of permission that we allow these models to have as they operate within our environment. So interesting. Uh, there's clearly a lot of opportunities here. Um, so Renata, let, uh, I have this question. So do you see uh, synergies across the oversight uh, community in terms of um, sharing resources because clearly there's not enough data scientists to go around. Uh, the technology, um, now we are all operating or at least try to move to all cloud uh, environments. So do you see any uh, synergies and also opportunity for the oversight community to share resources? And if you do see that, how do you think the, that it could happen in, in the most... Um, um, effective way? Yeah, I mean, it's a big question. Um, so one of the things that I maybe wasn't surprised by, but was really excited by when I joined the oversight community was the reliance on data and analytics to achieve the mission, uh, especially at HHS OIG. It's, it's really core to um, what we do. And I think about uh, one of our executives in um, our evaluations area said, it's really our air, it's what we breathe, <laughs> you know, without it, we don't survive. And so that's sort of a rallying point, I think, for the oversight community. Of course, everyone very much um, uh, values their independence and um, each IG is its own special snowflake. They have their own special, um, you know, uh, processes, um, but we all are united by the yellow book <laughs> and uh, our share in the blue book <laughs> and uh, our share for, um, you know, the love of data and the need for data. Uh, so I think there are opportunities for us to come together. Um, I think the first kind of piece is really culture. So as much as we value our independence and we do a lot of collaboration, a lot of discussion, but really um, let's really try to promote a culture of 
sharing at the um, work product level. Um, so most recently, as part of the, um, the Pandemic Response Accountability Committee, um, HHS OIG uh, chaired the healthcare subcommittee and we issued a joint uh, product that was um, that included data from um, several different IG, several, several different agencies to look at COVID testing. And um, it was an interesting process to observe because um, you could see how first it came from like the executive level, okay, well, I think this is a good idea to, okay, how do we now get to the data points? How do we ensure consistency? Um, how do we provide the right caveats? And, and um, the key to that was really um, people connecting with people. So data analysts, you know, um, uh, auditors and evaluators connecting with each other and really kind of talking through the problems. And I think that that can be sort of a model um, for the future. So how do we rally around a common problem where we have a shared interest, perhaps a common data set, um, and how can we uh, work together to share information around data quality, um, share insights, and you know really accelerate um, the impact that we can have as an oversight community? Um, so I guess put simply, I think we need to um, move past sort of the mindsets of you know um, we're independent, we do our own thing, like we'll share our work, but we'll, we'll only to a certain point. Let's sort of go beyond that and really collaborate at the staff level. Um, and, and how can we share data? How can we sort of um, test the boundaries? You know, a lot of people will say, oh, well, that requires, you know, a, a, a system of record update or a data use agreement, lots of legal, <laughs> lots of legalese. Like, let's continue to pressure, test those boundaries and let's let's kind of continue to try to pursue um, where, where appropriate um, data sharing to accelerate our missions. Um, and then uh, to, to kind of touch on what Taka mentioned about AI and trust but verify, um, I think this really requires promoting data literacy across the community. So how can we as a community um, get smarter about these things, um, whether it's through events and forums or um, you know, sharing insights, um, but how can we sort of introduce this as part of our process and really become um, more of a, a, um, a data uh, literate um, community? Great. Yeah, I I think that I'm seeing across that uh, the federal government, there, there's just become significant momentum started to build uh, around AI and what's possible. Um, so it's an exciting time to, to be um, in you're doing what you're doing. Um, so Taka, so, you know, we're, I think we're at the beginning to um, really like capture the, the opportunity here. What do you see in terms of the trend for data science for the next five to 10 years? Of course, I know the technology just like, you know, changes so quickly. Yeah, I recently had a chance to speak with uh, Dr. Bill Sherless from DARPA and, and he put it in a way that really resonates well with me. Um, as far as what DARPA is considered they call this the second wave of AI. It's mostly machine learning that are capable of providing tactical sort of probabilistic output. But I think in five to 10 years, we will be in a realm where the AI systems are now capable of cognition or abstraction to a level where it may be even more complex for us to uh, disambiguate the ecosystem of machine learning models. Um, and so I think to Renata's point, 
data literate workforce is super important, not just only addressing today's oversight requirements, but how do we equip them to address sort of cognition capable AI going future? Um, you know, Renata talked about sort of, um, uh, the, the importance of sharing, you know, we, routinely exchange ideas with HHSOIG. As a matter of fact, I think our next conversation is going to be specifically around topic modeling. Um, and, and part of the what Renata mentioned in terms of the cultural aspects of it is, you know, failure is such a dirty word in the federal government. Um, but one of the ethos of the Innovation Lab at GAO is that we embrace failure because, you know, as part of our name suggests, innovation inherently embodies a level of risk that we have to take. Um, because we are somewhat removed from the day-to-day -day audit engagements, we have that luxury of take on greater risk. But I think that also means we have responsibility to share not only the success stories, but also potential missteps with our colleagues across the oversight community, but to anyone who are interested in uh, sort of building up their own capacity, not necessarily be forced to start from the scratch. And I think that's sort of a common observation that I have is, Everybody loves to do innovation, but everybody do their own things. Um, and so there are a number of planning elements that we have, whether it's through geoinnovations.gov. Uh, we might, you know, would consider setting up some sort of a GitHub type of repo to share white paper, uh, generalizable uh, machine learning algorithm that might be beneficial to, let's say, HSSOIG and other oversight community. And vice versa, we don't assume that our way of thinking is the only way to go. We're interested in hearing other people's uh, approach um, processes to help us collectively address these grand challenges that we're all facing. Um, but relative to you know your questions around a little bit of a crystal eight ball and what may come down the pipeline, uh, Renata mentioned something that is actually quite near and dear to me as well, which is the using graph database. Um, we at GAO have been piloting the use of graph database to support continuous auditing. Um, and I think that is um, a something of a, at this point, an aspirational goal for us. Uh, I've heard continuous auditing in different sort of incarnation throughout my career, but up till this point, I haven't really seen a, a really credible manifestation of a continuous auditing. Um, I think using graph database is an interesting construct. It allows us to start applying graph specific AI capability to analyze the entirety of the network for anomalies, for specific outliers and whatnot. Um, and I think as federal you know, government go through its modernization uh, journey, there will be more and more proliferation of data. So the sort of prototypical approach to, let's say, accounting audits to any other type of audit is, is showing its age. Um, there should be way for us, you know, given the computational capacities that we have these days, given the analytical capabilities that we have these days, uh, we should be able to drive towards some form of continuous auditing so that the risk identified are not being identified 12 months down the road or 18 months down the road, more contemporaneous. Now, I think there's a technology components to that conversation, but there's also methodological components to that conversation. For example, if there is a magical continuous auditing solution, where is that line between the management and the auditors? Where the management says, you know what, just let the auditor go find out, we'll fix it later. 
where the auditor says, you know what, the management got it. We don't really need to sort of dig that deeply. Um, so there, there, you know, those are sort of two oversimplified extremes of the methodological um, disambiguation that we'll have to do relative to continuous auditing. But I would say in a five to 10 year time frame, I would love to be able to sort of have some momentum built around the concept of continuous auditing. This is not to say there is not a place that statistical sampling still plays, but this will be an augmentation and enhancement of the audit trade graph going forward. Uh, but also, you know, resonating with what Renata mentioned, a data literate workforce is so important. There's no way for us, either GAO or HSOIG, to hire enough data scientists out of the, the, the capacity challenge that we have. Um, so on a lot of the foundational data quality, data exploration, data visualization type of thing, data ingestion, for example, we want to make sure that we are not consuming PhD statistician and PhD level data scientists on those day-to-day -day sort of foundational activity that they're really applying their tradecraft on really thorny, like algorithmic and mathematical issues. Um, so this is a both a capacity issue, but also how can we tra train more uh, it's sort of a stronger cadre of what I call general contractors so that they can appropriately scope the right kind of AI capabilities into their respective audit engagements. Um, and so this is where I'd equate data scientists to more like the electricians and a the plumber. They're the specialists, but we need more and more of a general contractor to know what right looks like, what wrong looks like, how can we go about accessing the right data, uh, and be able to ask those um, foundational question without sort of essentially delegating everything to a data scientist and say, well, you go deal with the data scope or you go deal with the data collection and you go deal with the, the analytical piece of it. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's a lot of good momentum built around the federal data strategy that is aiming towards that goal. Uh, OPM is doing a lot of great work around just the job series to hire data scientists. Um, and GAO is uh, launching very uh, strategic data literacy program that are targeting towards the audit trade craft. Um, and we also have um, a launching a fairly long-term strategic effort around data governance. I mean, that's another challenge. Uh, data is great, but garbage and garbage out. So if you are AI something on a garbage, you're gonna AI something garbage on, on the other end from the prediction perspective. So how do we maintain that um, provenance, lineage, um, data access policy, so that we can have a level of trust on the work that we do using the data assets, assets that we have access to. Yeah, it's really refreshing to hear Taka, you talk about what GAO is doing. And uh, and also um, you mentioned about the, the ethos of failure. Um, Renata and I worked together on implementing the data act. And of course we had GAO auditors show up at our doorstep day one. And uh, when we told them that, and we wanted to do um, agile and we said, we didn't have a plan. Uh, we want to fail fast. I think at that time, the auditors were very concerned. Uh, so I'm really excited to hear all the innovative um, progress and, and interest in, in the commitment that, that GAO is doing. Now, both of you have clearly, you know, just very passionate and, and excited. And I could tell you love what you do and, and the impact you're making. Uh, I do know that innovating in government is not easy. Um, 
because you have to um, convince a lot of people to do hard things. So I want to know uh, here. This is my last question. Um, why do you do these hard things? Um, let's start with Taka first. Yeah, I, you know, thank you, Christina, and thank you for the opportunity to share the stage with you and Renata. Um, I think government fundamentally has such a profound impact to the day-to-day -day lives of the citizens. And uh, that comes with a sort of extra layer of responsibilities in terms of how we roll out capabilities such as AI. I mean, we can name all the other emerging capability, you know, cloud services, IoT, you know, quantum computing, for example. Like we have the responsibility to get that right. And that responsibility rests both on the executive agency, but also with the oversight community so that we can issue those recommendations when things need to be remediated. Um, but on a more personal level, um, and, and this is something I, I learned as you know, my, my short tenure at GAO has progressed, is that the complexity and the scale of the problem that a government entity tackles, you know, for example, Renata talked about $2 trillion in funding, where in private sector uh, would you go to you know, handle $2 trillion um, worth of funding? Similar with GAO, right? We have a pan-governmental purview. And so we're not just worried about justice data. We're not just worried about treasury data. We're not just worried about homeland security data. We have to have an awareness of uh, the, the diversity of the program and the impacts and the complexity of those programs. Um, so from a data scientist perspective, I live in a candy store every day because uh, we have statutory access to the data. Uh, our challenge is to figure out what to do with that information so that we can appropriately respond back to our congressional stakeholders who we work for to make sure that we address these grand challenges on behalf of the American public. So, you know, it's both the diversity and the breadth of the issue that we get to deal with. But from personal perspective, um, I, I think I landed in a jackpot relative to just the kind of awesome uh, work that we get to do. And, and more importantly, the awesome people that we get to work with um, to really make a meaningful impact, um, you know, across the federal government. Renata? Yeah, Taka, I would echo a lot of what you say. Um, the complexity of government and the associated problems are um, are huge, but it is so rewarding when you're able to make even just the slightest uh, modification or change towards the positive. Um, you know, especially at HHS, um, we you know we really protect people. Um, we have so many people that we protect. You know, Medicare, Medicaid beneficiaries, uh, children, and families. And, um, you know, for me, it's uh, hearing the stories around, you know, audits um, or investigations where there are children or there are families who are um, being harmed um, by, you know, providers who are, you know, greedy or um, institutions that are really don't have the um, interests of the um, of the beneficiary at, you know, at the forefront. And so, um, being able to uncover that with data and analytics and really being the the entity that says, hey, that's not right and we can do something about that, um, it feels really empowering and very meaningful. Um, and so 
Now, I mentioned earlier the formulas for success is that technology, data, and subject matter expertise. Um, but in that, it's really also passion. Um, it's amazing to see people come together around some of these really um, important issues like um, uh, you know, we oversee the Office, Office of Refugee Resettlement, um, so children at the border right now, you know, uh, COVID. So there's all these things that are happening in our daily lives, and we have we ha we are empowered to really protect people um, by leveraging data and, and our oversight um, authority to, you know, hold people accountable and um, and help agencies become um, better better stewards of, of taxpayer dollars and um, help citizens. So it's, it's really impactful work. Um, and even though it's hard, it, the, the, the level of difficulty makes it that much more rewarding when you can have an impact. Um, I also, I think it's, I actually have fun. I think it's fun to be bold in government. Um, so Taka, something that you mentioned that was so spot on earlier was um, this sort of point, I think, that we'll get to where we'll develop, the oversight committee will develop um, models. And should we share those models, you know, with the program to sort of, you know, prevent <laughs> the fraud or prevent the, the inappropriate actions? Um, and I think, I think it will take boldness from the oversight community. I know we tend to be pretty reserved and tend to be pretty, you know, we're independent, rightfully so, but we should take appropriate, bold um, actions to really um, protect um, uh, people and, and citizens, so and, and taxpayer dollars. Well, you two are pioneers um, in the federal government and also specifically in the oversight community. Oversight has a really, really important role, and um, but it's not known for being innovative. So yeah. it's so um, encouraging to me to to know people like you are there and passionate about making a difference and also so thoughtful and and um, know your area so well. So I'm so thrilled that I got to talk to you and thank you so much for your insight. I think it's going to be so helpful to people to know uh, what you are doing. So I really appreciate your time today. Thank you for joining me. It was Thank fun. you for the opportunity. It was fun.